Hi everyone, my next guest has been voted as one of the best personal trainers in the Southeast. With a degree in exercise and health studies, advanced training with the European Health and Fitness Association, and numerous other diplomas in lecturing, fitness classes, nutrition, exercise, medicine, and bodybuilding, it's very clear why she's one of the best. On top of running eFitness, her private personal training studio, she has also competed as a bikini athlete. She runs programs with autistic children and lectures courses on fitness for pregnant women. Welcome to the podcast, Emma Bowden. It's a luxury to pursue what makes you happy. It's a moral obligation to pursue what you find meaningful. And that doesn't mean it's easy. It might require sacrifice. When perfectionism is driving, shame is always riding shotgun. Spread the word on mental health so when other people are in this position in the future, they know where to go and they know what to do because there's a blueprint. I think everybody is stuck in the same cycle of looking at how we need to throw money, more money at mental illness and the problem will go away. But it's the incorrect way to look at it. So you have an entire generation growing up with lower self-esteem than previous generations, right? Through no fault of their own through no fault of their own. Understanding how our mind works, how our emotions work, can help us understand how to get more satisfaction in life. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, okay, so I'm going to jump straight into it. My first question. Um, you often speak on social media about the links between fitness and mental health. Um, in your opinion, what are the links between the two? Okay, so even just personally myself, I find that if I am not training... Um, my own personal issues in terms of having anxiety tend to tend to elevate. Um, so in relation to the relationship, aerobic exercise has improved relentless times, you know, in any research paper or studies to improve um, people's overall sense of well-being, their mood, etc. So the, the research is there. But personally, um, from my own experience, I can tell you that is all true. <laughs> so um, basically, when we exercise, we release these kind of natural endorphins in our body, the same kind of ones that you would get if you were to eat some chocolate or something. But um, chocolate stays around the hips <laughs> and it doesn't make you feel too good afterwards. But um, exercise releases the same endorphins um, and it can elevate your mood and um, help you feel better for longer and even post-training. Um, and as well as that, I suppose, the more we do it, it kind of has to be seen as, a, as kind of a, a medication as well. The more we partake in that exercise, the longer we can prolong our mood for. So we're just in better humour. Um, I find myself, um, personally, my anxiety levels are lower when I get to train regularly yeah. um, and on those lines. Okay. Um, and obviously the fitness and nutrition market now has absolutely exploded. Like it's a very, very popular thing now. Um, do you think that it's all positive, this new nutrition and fitness explosion? I think um, some parts of it are positive yeah. and some are negative. Sorry, I'll ask first. Um, yes. Why do you think this has happened? Like, why do you think there's been, why has it become so popular? So popular. Um, I think social media has a huge part to play in the fitness boom. Okay. Um, I remember when I started out as a personal trainer, there wasn't many other personal trainers. And now there are PTs everywhere. Um, there are fitness sites all over, you know, Facebook and Instagram and workout videos all over YouTube. 
there is a huge amount of information out there now that wasn't there before. Yeah. Um, and you've only to type something into Google and you, you'll find exactly what you want and mm-hmm. probably near your doorstep. But I think social media has really, really pushed it in a positive way in the sense that we understand that we should exercise, we sh- understand that we should eat healthy. But then there's the negative side as well of all these um, pages that don't give the right information yeah. um, and pages that want to tell you that something is good for you because they need to sell their product. Mm. And now those um, platforms that were promoting things positively are kind of promoting them negatively because they're selling kind of fake information or yeah. fake programs that don't work or fake nutritional supplements, stuff like that. Mm. And do you feel that, so at the moment, do you feel social media is having more of a negative or positive impact? I personally feel social media at the minute is having a negative impact. Why so? Um, well, I suppose it depends. The thing about if you look at Instagram in particular, we'll say you pick who you follow and then they show you more people like that. So before you even realize it, I suppose you've created your own little world, this bubble yeah. of maybe these particularly whether it say you picked followed one girl who trains for um a bikini competition then you're suddenly following 20 girls and then your news feed is filled with fit um a very very low percentage of the world's population yeah. kind of um women if that makes sense and then we think that's how everybody is or that's how we should be mm. so rather than seeing it positively like it's hard to know whether um you know, we're following those people because we choose to follow them. And then, do you know what I mean? Then we're following doubly amount of those people. Yeah. And kind of because our likes, we get caught in that bubble and don't realize yeah. there's other, yeah, you know. And, and it's not the personality behind the person who's following. It's the standard. It's what they look like. Yes, and that's exactly. Actually, yeah, the dangerous aspect. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, now with the explosion of this fitness um, market, uh, anorexia, um, bulimia, eating mm-hmm. disorders has gone up hugely. Um, uh, do you have any advice for people who are kind of going down that path, who are becoming obsessed with body image? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is not everything you see is real. Um, I know I'm talking about social media again, but, you know, the majority of those posts, I would say, aren't real. And the ones that are real are very, very small percent of, percentage, excuse me, of the world's population. Um, and... As well as that, I mean, you have girls who just, because it's a business now, because people need followers, you will have men and women who Photoshop themselves, not just products. And it's very misleading to younger people, especially. um, And you just have to understand that you need to learn how to be comfortable in your own body, happy in your own self, and realize that all of these things that we're looking at right now across social media and all these platforms, um, they're not always genuine they're not always it's not always reality Mm. and all we're doing is clicking photos that we like there's no story behind it um like i know a lot of girls even just from years of being in the industry who have very bad social skills um but have amazing followers on social media you know so take these fantastic beautiful pictures but they're very anxious and and can't leave the front door and they look like Mm. very confident people on their social media but it's a very isolated um platform yeah do you know Um, one thing we always say as well is that it actually lowers um like 
social media and stuff they think it's a form of connection but it's actually a very low co- it is a form of connection but it's a very low type quality of connection and that's something that we should be educating younger children on that it is a form of connection but it's low quality so it's much better to get out there and like meet other people and discuss them as opposed to just following them and maybe liking one of their pictures it's a completely different thing yeah exactly um and then like do you feel um now i know obviously you're not uh, qualified on this but you've probably been exposed to it what are early signs of people with like uh, that maybe you've come across with that might have an eating disorder like mm-hmm. when do you feel generally it starts and what's an indication of it mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of people with eating disorders um, the, the most common one I used to see um, or was aware of I suppose probably just it took time and experience myself as a trainer to realize um, but it would have been anorexia and um, you have to be very careful um, and then and I'll just speak about the science for that in a second but another thing I've noticed is there's more and probably just as I got older because we don't see it as an eating disorder per se yeah. is more so disorder eating so that cycle of binging and self-sabotage and then going back and a help us and this clean eating mm. um, which is another thing I think has is another type of disorder that has started this um, clean eating yeah. not healthy eating clean eating is another type of disorder um, I believe Anton can you explain exactly what is clean eating clean eating so clean eating means so for example just from my own personal experience so when I was doing bodybuilding I would have had to eat clean okay. eat clean means you wouldn't have the addition of say um you know, sauces and you, you just be having, um, say if you're having your, your meal before you're training or whatever, you'd be having a plain chicken breast, plain um, broccoli, um, steamed rice, and there would be no additions to that meal. Yeah. So it would be clean eating. If you're having oats, you'd have it with water. You wouldn't be having it m- with milk or anything like that. Mm. Um, in that sense, you're also missing out on other valuable nutrients so it's not the healthiest diet in the world either but all the athletes know it's only done for a purpose yeah. it's done for stage day but i think the message that's been sent to other people about clean eating is they have to eat like that and it's nearly come to an extreme mm. and it's kind of a way for a lot of people to hide eating disorders so now you have people who not everybody but now you have some people covering up eating disorders because they may say they're into the gym they may say they're into exercising and they're into clean eating and when really what they're trying to do is cover up um trying to stay as lean as possible and Mm. you know not eat food that you know it's yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so you mentioned that um you you mentioned this idea of stage Mm -hmm. so um from your perspective then is your opinion it should never be short term like somebody should not come to a personal trainer, come into a gym hoping to get to a stage by a certain day and then eventually leave it off completely. Like it should always be building for the long term and like mm-hmm. consistency is was that would you recommend that? Yeah, so if I so there are a lot of trainers who train bodybuilders, but my personal outlook on it is um it may be considered different. I know there are a lot of people like me though as well. So it would be done in the sense that it would be done over a slower period of time. Right. So I wouldn't be training anybody. You hear the words like 12 weeks out or 14 weeks out. That means they've started training for competition 12 weeks before the competition date. Yeah. So if you have somebody who needs to lose 
two stone of body fat 12 weeks before a competition. Mm. That's going to put them under severe pressure. Yeah. Some people are more genetically predispositioned to take part and 12 weeks is more than enough. They're in good shape all year round. Yeah. But if you have um, a good bit of body fat to lose, you're putting the body under extreme pressure mm. and you have to do, you have to overtrain, you have to undereat, And then before competition, what happens is you usually end up feeling very lethargic, very ill and, um, you can get into a very low place mentally. Yeah. And if you don't have a good coach, even to, pu- to help pull you out of that after or a good kind of, um, family or social environment, most people find it very very hard because most people don't realize that after the competition you will put weight back on and they can't deal with that and because you get all this attention for being on stage and being so lean and in peak kind of condition for stage day it's very very hard to deal with regaining some of the weight afterwards and a lot of people end up on a binge post training rather than gradually reintroducing calories and gradually decreasing training so you have to be in a very very strong mindset um I would usually try, it depends on the person. So if they have good genetics and they look like they're 12 weeks out, then that's fine. But if you have more body fat to lose, I would be looking at training somebody for a year yeah. um, and taking it so, you know, on a pound per week. And it has to become more of a, a lifestyle change. And then, yes, you need to reinforce with that client that before a competition, you're only doing this now because of competition. So we, yes, we are going to train harder or yes, we are going to add in cardio or we are going to reduce calories. But remember, it's just for stage day and this is a competition. The problem is people are looking at these um, males and females with these ripped bodies and stuff all the yeah. time. And they're thinking they look like that all the time. Yeah. And they don't. It's for stage day, mm. you know, and that's fine. But um, a lot of people think that they can look like that all year round and then they're not able to deal with it mentally when they can't cope with that. Yeah. You, know? um, you mentioned basically you need a good coach to come out of it afterwards. Mm-hmm. So um, as a coach yourself, uh, what would that process involve once they're at after the um, the training day or the, the, the show day, as you mentioned? Mm-hmm. What, what would that so involve? So if they've taken it slowly... And they've made it kind of more of a lifestyle approach. Um, I know it becomes more quite specific than closer to competition, but it shouldn't be as hard for them after a competition. Whereas if you just train, as I said before, if you had a good bit of weight to lose for a competition, you just trained flat out for 12 weeks before, then it can um, be very hard to maintain that type of lifestyle because you haven't grown to learn. You haven't made it part of your daily routine to exercise, you know, the five days a week or whatever. But um, what I would be looking at doing... Obviously, as you would be trying to, before competition even, you would be letting somebody know the aftermath. So you have to let them know, yes, you will put on some weight. Yes, you will regain some water weight. Um, and you will have to be ready for the week after competition and the weeks after that to be just as hard as the week before. Yeah. Because you have to still kind of be disciplined. You have to reintroduce food slowly. You can't just go on a binge. I know they tend to have um, meals post-show and they all end up in some burger bar or something and that's fine but usually you have to get back on point then yeah. and you have to um you have to stay doing your cardio you have to stay doing your weights training and you slowly up the calories and you slowly reduce the training mm-hmm. just until you kind of steady off to that plateau that your body is able to to cope with it because um you don't want to regain too much you know fat too quickly because that's when people start to get low on themselves and depressed so uh, a good coach will tell them beforehand will tell them all the bad points as well as the good points not the glory and the tan and the looking pretty on stage and 
they will be there with them after. It won't just be, yeah, I'll be with you for the six weeks up to your competition day. This is how much it is, blah, 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 blah. They need to let them know that. They need to be around for at least eight weeks because they'll need to speak with their coach after mm -hmm. competition as well. And they need to check in and, and let them know how their mental health is doing or how their body is feeling. Yeah, okay. Um, and then obviously you've competed as a bikini model. So that culture is probably... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably even scarier than gym culture for <laughs> some people that it's so competitive. Um, can you explain a bit more? What was that culture like being surrounded by other bikini models? And Okay, so I specifically um, trained for uh, bikini fitness and then bikini model. I changed from bikini... Um, excuse me, competing as a bikini fitness competitor um, just by choice in terms of what I know it does to my own mental health. Okay. So there's different categories. So bikini fitness, you would have to be leaner. Um, and personally, me, I generally, I can build muscle very fast, but I lose body fat very slowly. So it was easier for me to get to a bikini model standard without putting myself under immense pressure mentally. Because I had done bikini fitness before and I didn't come out the other side of it. And it took me three or four years before I stepped on the stage again because nobody warned me of all the things that I warned my clients about post-show. Yeah. And I did fall into a, like a state of depression. Which, which can easily happen to anybody. Um, so I chose bikini model then. Bikini model is a little bit of a softer look. Uh, you just kind of have to keep feminine. And um, so I liked that category. Um, yeah. And, you know, I never found it intimidating or anything like that. All the other competitors are always lovely and everybody knows what everybody else has to go through. Um, I was you know, never intimidated by any of those things. Okay. So there, there, there's not a pressure there, basically, of who looks the best constantly then? or No, well, you see, I suppose that depends on the individual because okay. I was doing it for myself. Okay. Um, I suppose other people, like, I did it and I did well, but only because I was only competing with myself, and that's all you can do. Once you start looking at other people and comparing yourselves to other people, then you're going down a bad road, road win or lose anyway. Um, so you just have to, if you are going to compete, um, you have to find, or you have to work on yourself first. Um, you have to, because the first competition I ever did when I did fitness, um, I wasn't a very confident person and I did that comparison thing and I did it after the show and then I started to regain some weight and then I went into that, that black hole. But um, I took that time to work on myself. I, I'm in that space where I don't worry about other people and what they think of me. Um, if you are you know, very confident in yourself and your own body and you've worked through those things, then compete then get on the stage when yeah. you're only doing it for yourself and not anybody else or comparing yourself to anyone around you then compete because okay. then you're going to do very so well so it's kind of like comparing yourself to who you were yesterday yeah the thing it's progress yeah yeah okay um and then in relation to so there might be some people listening now um they want to get fitter they want to get healthier um how do you normally start the process when somebody's coming to the gym for the first time how do you motivate them or how do you train them to motivate themselves Yes, so my, on the questionnaire that everyone fills out when they come in the power queue form about injuries, medical conditions, etc., one of my questions is always motivation. Mm -hmm. And do you find it hard to motivate yourself? About 90% of, um, to exercise, about 90% of people that come here would answer yes. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. I just need to know that. And I need to know that then as a personal trainer. See, it's a little bit different at eFitness because it's a private personal training club. Mm. Um, so... 
I can check in on my clients. Sorry, Sorry to jump. Yeah. Um, why did you pick private over um, working in a gym? Okay. <laughs> so um, I worked in leisure centers and gyms for about nine years and then I went private. So what happens is there will be no one else here when the, the client is training. Okay. Um, I went private because I realized that A, there was a market, which sounds terrible, so I had to go from a business point of view <laughs> as well. But when I would talk to a lot of people who wanted to book in with me or train with me, um, they would always ask the question, is it busy at that time? Is there many people? I know what the problem is I don't want to go to a gym. So um, I suppose I took on that niche of people that hadn't the confidence yet um, to be in a group or a public setting, and, and that's why I went private initially. Okay. Um, people don't have to worry about who's looking at them and you know who's walking in or who's walking out, that kind of thing, and they can kind of relax. Some people just join me for that reason. They might only stay around for 12 weeks, and then they actually have the confidence to go to a gym. Because okay. funnily enough, people will say to me, um, this, it goes both ways. Some people come to me for um, personal training and say, I want to do a few weeks with you or do a term with you, uh, so I'm fit enough to go to your fitness classes, okay. which is a group setting. And then I have people who will come to me for group classes and go, no, I'm here because I want to get fit enough to do personal training <laughs> with you. So it depends on how the person kind of, you know, outlooks on things. But yeah. um, definitely went private because I seen there was a need for it and I work with women mainly and they just like that setting. Yeah, of course. Um, and then going back, sorry, because I jumped mm -hmm. the question, um, to motivate people when they're coming in for the first time or what mm -hmm. advice would you give to people that are lacking the motivation to start? Yeah. Um, so I think the hardest thing for people is like that they may feel a bit anxious about joining the gym or um, I've had loads of people book PT sessions and not turn up and I've never turned them away the second time they try to contact me and come in because I know myself like I also have anxiety so I know that they might just be worrying and there's a barrier there so what they need to do is if they don't come in here then I can't help them identify it but what they need to do is sit down and ask themselves what are the barriers that are stopping me from partaking in exercise what is the barrier that's stopping me um to getting out and going for a walk what is the barrier that's stopping me from actually going to a gym um whether it's a, a confidence thing or and um, maybe you'd feel more comfortable then if you bring a friend. But you need to sit down, have that chat with yourself and literally list the things. What is stopping me from doing this? Yeah. Um, because we'll always come up with excuses or find loads of excuses not to do it. Right. So make the list of what's stopping you and then sit down, think about it and think, how are you going to kind of undo any of those barriers, really? And the barriers are personal. So I suppose it depends on the person. But like my clients that come to me, the barrier may have been, um, you know, they weren't confident to exercise around other people yet. So they found a private PT, yeah. you know. Okay. So my next question now, um, nutrition. So you have, um, you obviously studied nutrition as well. Um, it's exploded as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I see a new fitness diet uh, every week. Uh, if it's not giving up meat, then it's not giving up vegetables. I've seen all sorts. Mm -hmm. um, what's your general advice in relation to nutrition? Nutrition, I think just simply it needs to suit the individual. Um, it, nutrition is a huge business, yeah. you know, and it brings in multi-millions, if not billions every year. Um, and they'll just play on what's already out there, you know, um, you have to be careful. So if you are trying to identify basically whether a diet will help you or not, 
you just have to ask yourself a couple of things. One being, is it going to suit your lifestyle? Is it maintainable? So if it has a term or a time frame on it, you're definitely not going to be able to keep up with it and you're not going to maintain it. And if you can't maintain it, say if it was a weight loss program, you're not going to keep the weight loss off because you're going to go back to your old ways. That's just the way it is. So if you can't um, make a healthy lifestyle out of it, if you can see yourself um, taking part in that routine for the rest of your life, shall we say, to put it simply, then it's not for you. Yeah. Um, if you have six-week diets out there, two-week diets, um, 12-week transformation plans, whatever it is, if it has a time frame on it, it'll work for that time frame. And then once you stop it, it doesn't work anymore. So unless you look at that plan and you've been, say, on week four of that six-week plan for six weeks, or sorry, for six weeks, um, and you think you can maintain that for the rest of your life, I suppose that's fine. Mm. But other than that, they're all fads, really. Yeah. Um, the, the quickest way to identify a fad is to see, does it have a time frame? And the second way is to see, does it put you on an extreme calorie reduction? Yeah. Um, so you need to work out what your daily calories intake would need to be. Not for the, um, and I, I'm talking about weight loss again, sorry, but just um, probably because that's the most common thing. Of course, yeah, but, yeah. Um, Say if somebody's, um, you know, two or three stone overweight and they may like, might like to, to lose that weight. When I talk about calorie intake, I mean stick to a calorie intake of the weight that you want to be. Um, so, I mean, obviously, if it, you're eating 3,000 calories a day and that's 1,000 too much for you, yeah. then you should be reducing it by that anyway. And that 2,000 calorie a day diet is okay um, because that's what you should be eating if you were, you know, the 10 stone you wanted to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but serious calorie reduction where people try to put you on 1,000 calories or 1,200 calories and you know it's something you can't maintain, um, just you no know, stay stay clear and mm. um, so anything with a time frame extreme calorie reduction yeah definitely a fad no matter what name they put on it beach body or healthy six weeks or it, it doesn't matter yeah it's funny as well because um i know people as well um it's the healthier food like the the salads and it costs so mm -hmm. much like people are arguing that you can't stay healthy or you can't eat healthy mm -hmm. because it's too expensive. It's only for the, the rich, yeah, uh, which is quite difficult for them. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we just mentioned we uh, we, we jumped the gun. Um, going back then to anorexia because that is the obviously the negative side of nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, what advice would you give to somebody who's struggling? Yes, yeah, sorry. So um, the signs if somebody has an eating um, disorder. Um, so anorexia probably would have been the one I most commonly seen. Um, and then I suppose I gained experience. I realized there's a lot more disordered eating than eating disorders. But that's just my opinion. Um, so anorexia, I've seen signs where people, um, they like to be in control. Okay. Um, so I, I generally see the signs pop up of... Um, and I know a lot of people use apps and stuff to track food, but it, it, it's just early signs, I suppose, to look out for. I'm not saying everybody uses an app as an eating disorder. Yeah. A lot of people use apps, but if they're controlling calories to a specific point, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of would get upset if something was 100 over or 100 under, um, who's very, very specific about their food and kind of religious in, may even eat the same things um, every day in time. Somebody who, um, every time they come in the door to me, would be weighing themselves before a session, after a session even. Um, so you might spot someone at home constantly weighing themselves. Um, 
than somebody as well. I've had people who are heavily overweight and then went the opposite way and they still kind of wear baggy clothes and that kind of stuff and trying to hide their body. Also, they can tend to over-exercise. So they can excessively exercise. That's something to watch as well. Um, But I suppose there's so many people who exercise now, so you can't put everyone in that boat either. But I mean, in terms of excessively exercising, if they're not an athlete and they're training every single day of the week and they're not taking a break whatsoever. I've seen people train twice a day even. I used to teach in a gym where I had someone, I had to teach the four classes back to back and that was fine because that was my job. But they would be doing the four classes back to back with me as well. Um, That kind of thing. So watching out for people who are trying to be more so in control of everything, in Mm -hmm. control of their food, in control of their training to a point of obsession, in control of their way to a point of obsession, kind of like they're, they're weighing themselves every day and were you when you um studied um were you educated on this of how to deal with it when you were in college we were educated on differences we weren't educated with how to deal with it okay. now i know in my course it was a very good course and we did facilitation skills and we did all of that but it was on like a general basis it wasn't specifically on eating disorders yeah. um which i think would be very helpful obviously to pts mm. um some of the time we're more so counselors um, than PTs, which yeah. is fine. We're here to help people feel better about themselves, but definitely more a stronger skill set. I would love to have a stronger skill set in that area because I, I know my cutoff lines. If somebody has an injury, I send them to a physiotherapist. Yeah. If I see somebody has, um, you know, is starting to overtrain, I feel, or, you know, suddenly lost loads of weight or are kind of heading down that road or gaining a lot of weight, yeah. I will always refer them to a counselor then as well because it's just outside of my you know expertise yeah, yeah yeah of course okay um and then so you mentioned the um the eating apps earlier um what's your opinion on um fitbit steps because obviously mm-hmm. this is a huge thing now as mm-hmm. well do you think it's positive or it depends <laughs> on the person <laughs> i took a big pause there yeah. um it's it's probably just because it's a personal thing i don't use it okay. but i know i have a good few clients who why, do why, why don't you use it um I suppose because I'm active enough already and I, I, I don't need, feel the need to track it. So I'm as I'm similar in the sense of about my eating as I am about my training. Yeah. Um, well, probably a little bit stricter about training. But um, when it comes to nutrition, I kind of eat intuitively. If I'm hungry, I eat. Um, I don't regret anything I eat and then I don't end up self-sabotaging because that's things I used to do as well. Um, so I know how those people feel and I c- and can always relate to women who, who kind of emotionally eat because I went through that as well but my my training would be the same like I know myself just because of how I feel in my body and I always feel better in a certain shape and I know I need to train my legs at least twice a week and my upper body once per week I make sure that that gets done but I don't set any time in stone I do it when I can and if there's a week where I miss a day of my own training then I've missed a day of my own training so I think sometimes apps what can happen is it, if you have a strong mindset, they're good. They yeah. keep you on track um, and they can be great for people starting off. But what I found with is some of the apps, I'd have people using the, the trackers for food um, 
and they'd be using the app, but they'd avoid using it on the day they were bad. So they'd be using it like Monday to Friday, but if they get bad on Saturday, they wouldn't kind of um, type it in, basically. Because yeah. they didn't, it's like, I don't know whether they don't want to become aware of it or they just feel so guilty for it. So it depends on the person, I think, whereas other people might keep them on track and they know, oh, well, I have two, 300 calories left today. And you know what? I feel like having yeah. something nice, I can have it and, and do it guilt-free. So again, I think it comes down to the person and the individual um, and the mindset and what they're using it for just yeah. to keep them on track and they're already in a positive frame of mind. It, Brilliant. It, it's also, you, you mentioned it, but it's that sense of guilt when they don't meet it. That's where the yeah. problem is, I think. Um, and then also you mentioned that intuitive eating. So we've yeah. actually had this discussion before. <laughs> could, could you explain a bit more about intuitive mm-hmm. eating? Um, so intuitive eating, it, it takes a long time to get there. It's not a diet you can just start in the morning. So intuitive eating takes time. Um, but it's learning to kind of take those moments and I suppose know what your body is feeling like. So, um, you know, to feel whether you're feeling hunger um, or thirst or whatever. But um, basically, as I said, I eat when I'm hungry and I know that feeling of when I'm full and not to overeat. Um, and of course, I don't guilt trip myself now. I used to, but I don't guilt trip myself about food. So if there is a day that I have something that I'm not supposed to have, like a sweet or treat or whatever, yeah. I will have it. I will not feel guilty for it because intuitive eating is about just picking up then and continuing the day as normal. You don't have any like that kind of emotional, poor emotional attachment to food. So it's not like that person. And I used to be that person where they have one biscuit and they're like, I said I wasn't going to eat biscuits. And then they eat the packet of biscuits. Yeah. Now intuitive eating, I'll be like, Yes, I had a biscuit today and I'll probably have something later on for dinner. Like I'm not self-tabotaging over that yeah. that biscuit I had earlier, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's learning to get into that mind frame and um, not guilt tripping over your yourself over food. Um, yeah, and just having a healthier relationship with food. Mm. But it takes time to get there. Um, and now uh, I'm always interested, obviously, because of what we do, I'm always interested from the perspective of uh, education, uh, particularly primary education. Do you feel there's enough being done at schools at the moment um, in relation to fitness and nutrition or what's your opinion? Fitness is the first one you said, so that's the first one I'll answer. Um, (laughs) Not just because I'm a PT. Um, Fitness has never been um, strong enough in schools. Um, I mean, if you look at the primary school curriculum, yes, there is a number of disciplines um, that they have to cover. I know they have to do children's games and athletics and gymnastics and all these things, which is fantastic. But in most schools that I've been to over the years, unfortunately, that was dedicated to one hour per week. Yeah. And, you know, you can play on your break time. Um, you can get some exercise there, but if it's raining, depending on the school and the facility, probably because I'm a bit older as well, but you have to sit in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, still, so th- it's still the same now. Yeah. yeah, it's still the same, right? So <laughs> so there's not much activity you can do then for most parts of the year in Ireland because it rains a lot. So um, MP for one hour a week is not fair. And I just feel that every primary school should at least have a permanent or full-time PE teacher, yeah. if nothing else, um, mm. or something else integrated. Um, yeah, but it, it should also be noted, I, I do 100% agree with you, um, obesity in Ireland actually isn't that bad. Um, the statistics aren't too bad, like compared to America, we're completely different per population, we're completely different, we're way lower than them, which is positive in a way, <laughs> I suppose. Um, and then, so on the topic of children, you also um, do um, workouts with autistic children, uh, can you explain a bit more about what exactly you do for that? 
Yeah, so I'm a gymnastics coach as well, um, and I do strength and conditioning, and I work with a lot of kids through that as well. But um, I suppose the gymnastics class for children on the spectrum, or excuse me, the spectrum, um, or kids that would have autism spectrum disorder, ASD, is a little bit different. And so I kind of, um, you know, when when you put a plan together for kids in terms of um, going to a school to do exercise with them, etc., you can put things in order. You can have a bit of a lesson plan put yeah. together. And um, with children on the spectrum, I don't do that. I usually just have a number of ideas. I always have 10 other ideas because okay. they may not like that first idea. Yeah. So you all, you just have to know a lot of games and locked uh, activities they can do because a lot of children with autism would have ADHD. So attention deficit disorder. And um, so, so they get get bored of things even quicker. Yeah. And um, so you always have to be ready to change. So changing the class quickly and often um, is what I do. And um, gymnastics, we focus on very basic gymnastic skills. But it really the aim of the class um, and why I chose gymnastics is because of the motor skills it works on. Okay. Um, children with autism, you'd have a lot of toe walkers. So stretching is fantastic then for their for their calf muscles, etc., and um, balance and coordination, especially if kids have dyspraxia or anything like that, can be poor. So, um, you know, walking on the the beam, the low beam on the ground, obviously, um, yeah. and those kind of things to help with balance, and um, all those kind of skills will be involved. Motor skills, um, very important as well. So we do that through games. So we play games as well to give some variety. We do obstacle courses. So we integrate in jumping and running and all the things together, yeah. but in a more fun manner. Mm-hmm. The course we're constantly on the go, yeah. which helps as well. And, um, and and they're they're in a group together, are they? They're in a group so together. So, yeah. And well. exactly. Social yeah. skills is so important. Like one week um, I had two mammies crying um, because there was two little girls running around yeah. and we were practicing four roles actually because some of them have sensory issues and don't even like to, you know, to be touched or put, you yeah. know, to the floor. Um, and the two little girls were running around and one of the mammies was going to, you know, tell them to behave or whatever and get back into the line. And um, that's another thing. If they leave the line, that's okay. There's no, there's no real, you know, kind of trying to be authoritative in this group they do what they want and they come back and forth when they feel like it yeah um so there's no rules in that sense but um yeah so the i was like no 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 it's okay don't worry did you not see what they're doing and then they're like oh my god so they were actually playing catch and they'd never seen their daughters play before yeah. Now, both of them were six years of age, so that was amazing for them. Mm. Um, they all know each other's names, Great. but they don't talk to each other too much yet. Yeah. Some of them are better um, than others in terms of social interaction, mm. uh, and the others are learning from them, what, them which what's is great. the age range? I have five-year-olds up to eight years of age, five okay. to eight years. Okay. So That's even great. in that, you know, you can kind of see why there would be a difference in some yeah. kind of interaction levels. But it was just amazing the way the, so, the two parents were just so happy to see the two kids, like, just playing catch, yeah. to actually play something and play together, mm. you know, because they talk about, my niece goes, but they talk about um, coming to gymnastics to play with their friends. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. even just to be yeah, in the yeah, same yeah. room, you yeah. know, they they think they're interacting and some interact a little bit more than others. Yeah, it's, you're always going to have that as well. So, yeah, um, my next question, um, personal trainer starting off. So obviously you have lots of experience mm-hmm. and you've been very successful. Um, what advice would you give to personal trainer starting off? 
I would say don't um, opt out of working for somebody else first. So I see a lot of personal trainers, like I trained um, on courses or trained people up for courses um, for years through iTech, I trained people to be personal trainers and other companies, etc. And I think the biggest mistake that most of those people made that are not still in the business um, is not getting that experience. So most people want to become a PT now and open a gym. I say work in a gym first. Yeah. and learn all the paperwork, etc. you have to do. Learn how to work with different types of people because you have to be able to have a different personality for everyone. Um, you know, everybody is different, obviously. And another thing on that, um, in terms of working in the gym, you'll build a clientele. Now, I'm not saying like that you rob the clientele, right? Yeah. So you don't go to the gym and learn their 500 members' names and take them with you. But you, you build a name for yourself in your area and then people can say, oh, yes, yeah, such and such. I remember when they worked in um, and, and people will remember you. So you have that wider audience to get to know your name yeah. um, because as good as social media and all these platforms can be, you can't beat word of mouth yeah. so get into a gym i would think whether it's a leisure center or not and and get your experience and then go out on your own and you'll also learn all the do's and don'ts when you're in there too and you'll probably get in-house training like all the gyms i worked in i was sent on courses here there and everywhere and i got to upskill constantly and then when i did go and work for myself you know i had so many strings to my bow so um yeah i would definitely say don't go out on your own straight away yeah yeah okay um, so yeah, you mentioned um, get to know different types of individuals. Um, you probably have male and female clients. Um, do you treat them differently? Yes, <laughs> um, I treat everyone differently. Okay. So I wouldn't even put it to the good point answer. of me. Yeah, <laughs> which might be a good answer either, depending on how you take it up. But I treat every um, individual differently. So. People have, and um, you have to remember that when people come in the door, everyone has their own issues or reasons for being here. So you should treat everyone in a different way in relation to that. I have some people that, um, I'm going back to weight loss, I'm going to sound like I'm obsessed with it, but I'm not. Like I have people who come in who want to lose weight, but they can come from very different backgrounds regarding that. So I might have somebody who is extremely motivated, ready to go. They used to train, maybe they got injured, or maybe... Um, they had children and time was a problem and now they're getting back into training. So I know they have that previous history of exercise that when they get going, they stay going. Yeah. Um, so I can treat them differently and they can kind of maybe go. Some people can do a kind of a cold turkey thing. Like, no, I'm back training now and I'm back eating healthy. Um, whereas other people, they need to start exercising first. And when they start to feel fitter and stronger, then I start to talk more about food and how to just eat better and introduce that slowly. So not everybody can do everything at once. And 90% of people, I'd say, can't. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you just have different personalities. Some people... Um, I have people, like, I, I don't want to put people in terms of colours, right? <laughs> but just to simplify it, so I might have my yellows, so my bubbly people who completely trust me. Well, they all trust me, I hope. But they just come in um, because they're here to exercise for their own mental health. They enjoy it. I guide them through the workout. They don't ask me many questions. They just do what I ask them to do, and they come back the next day. And then I might have some reds, which are extremely inquisitive. 
You have to have a, a stricter attitude because that's what they respond to. They like more of maybe a drill sergeant type of a workout when they come in and they want to know why they do everything and what is the purpose of it. So if I'm doing a plank today, this is why we're doing the plank and because it works these muscles that you describe to me that you want to work on. So they're kind of being more, you know. So can I ask now, mm. as you're describing each category, can you give advice for these specific type of people? Because some people might identify I'm one of them. So yeah. what, what extra advice would you give now for somebody in the red category? <laughs> um, someone in the red category. Um, I suppose it like it comes down to your trainer as well. So you need to find a trainer that that suits you. It's like everything. It's like I don't know when I went to counselling, I had to find find a counsellor that suited me. Yeah, so so don't be afraid of that either. But um, the right is I suppose educate yourself, um, but don't be afraid to ask questions either. Because what can happen is um, you can you know you can have resources from sites and. People will say to me, I read this and I, you know, I was told this about that exercise and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. Well, there's always another site to say the opposite, too. So um, don't be afraid to ask your trainer more questions. Educate yourself more, but educate yourself from the from the correct source. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Any other categories? Um, probably someone who is a little bit more laid back about their training, just there because they like to do some exercise for their health and enjoy it a little bit more. Um Pick a small goal maybe in between just to keep you motivated because I'm not saying everybody should have a fitness goal or a weight loss goal or, a, you know, that kind of thing. But sometimes it's good to keep them going because they can kind of veer off. So what happens is there's a lot of people out there who are in the gym five days a week um, you know, every week of the year, not realizing that they're training like an athlete, but because they're not bringing home medals or anything and they're not one of the Reds, um, they're kind of not thinking of themselves in that way. So they and they can kind of veer off then. So you always need that little target to push yourself towards whether um, you decide that oh, I've seen this workout and I'd like to be able to do that and improve my core strength or, you know, find little goals for yourself just to keep you going in between because that will build your confidence as well. And then they are, might actually become that person that kind of asks me more questions and wants to know more about what they're doing. And then they'll have a handle on their own training themselves. Yeah. And hopefully they won't need me anymore. And they'll be able to go to the gym themselves um, and they'll be able to take control of their own training, which is the ideal situation for any PT. Because we're not trying to keep any client forever. We're just trying to get them to the point where they can keep it going themselves and it, it begins to fit their lifestyle. Yep. Okay. Um, I think that is everything. Um, so we've spoken about motivation. Um, so yeah, I'm going to end it there. Um, thank you very, very much, Emma. Um, no where can people find you? Uh, on social media. On social media. While we were just complaining about <laughs> yeah. it. Um, so on Facebook, uh, my page name is eFitnessCarlo. On Instagram, it's eFitness underscore Emma. I had to use a different name for some reason, which can make it a little bit complicated. But yeah, Facebook and Instagram is the best place, eFitness. Okay. And anybody in the Carlo or Southeast area really, really recommend eFitness as well. I'll include it in the show notes on this. But thank you again. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.